0: Welcome to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, President of Motor Minds and host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel One Thirty Two. As the industry continues to hash out the pathway toward an electrified future, there are lingering issues that are surfacing at a rapid clip. Demand might be growing, but what are the cost issues? Is the supply chain equipped to handle the forecasts over the next few years? Is there an acceleration in EV adoption, and what's the strategy? And of course, infrastructure continues to be at the top of the list of growing concerns, both from consumers, automakers, and suppliers. Two experts have given these questions plenty of thought and are coming back with answers that will likely form the basis for solutions in the near term. Mark Barrett is Plant Moran's Principal for Strategy and Darren Gifford is Partner, Strategy Services, and Automotive Industry Leader. Both gentlemen joined me today to provide their perspective on those questions and many others as it relates to EVs and electrification. Today we'll tackle the questions around the consumer, the latest in sustainability as well as raw materials, components and standards. All elements that the supply chain will be grappling with as this EV acceleration takes shape. It's Plant Moran on OESA's Automotive Insiders. Well, Mark Barrett and Darren Gifford, welcome to the show. Darren, you are a partner in strategy service and automotive industry leader at Plant Moran. Welcome. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be here with you. And Mark Barrett, principal strategy. Uh, Good to see you as well from Plant Moran.
1: Jason, good to be here. Thanks Thanks for having us.
0: Well, we're going to obviously talk about electrification and, and EVs, uh, but I think that there's, there's a, a place to start with this conversation. And Mark, I'll just begin with you. Let's talk about demand. Demand is growing, but the cost of the transition to EVs is very significant. And I know you've done a lot of work in this and studied it um, on a regular basis. Tell me about that yin and yang of demand versus uh, cost and, and, and where we're settling today
1: it's it is uh, one of the key challenges Jason as you as you point out it's uh, we, we're at a point now where we're you know let's say 10 15 years into the EV journey with uh, with Tesla and with other products before that we're still seeing costs of, of buying a vehicle buying an EV vehicle you know which are higher than than their ICE uh, comparisons coming down but and you, what we'll see from the demand is, you know, it's very much a sort of S-curve where you think about the early adopters and the, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the folks who are you know, committed to a EV future uh, are still bringing, are still providing that demand. The switch that needs to occur is when we start to get into the mass market and understand what really drives adoption in the mass market. And part of that is clearly cost parity, both from a, a cost of the vehicle and even today, <clears throat> as we think about the operating costs of an electric vehicle, they are significantly lower than, as we know, the comparable uh, ICE, particularly in, in these turmoil times of, uh, of high uh, gas prices. That still needs to narrow to really drive that that mass demand that we, we see as you think about most of the projections that are out there in later this decade and then into the next decade, taking over the majority of, of uh of sales of, of vehicles from, from ICE.
0: And Darren, those projections get higher and higher and higher. There is no shortage of news when it comes to the EV uh, prognosticators.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's been pretty amazing. Um, the, just the, in the last two years, I think the dramatic uh, you know, shift from the, from the OEM standpoint into investing billions and billions of dollars into electric vehicles and batteries, especially on the drivetrain. Um, and I think that's part of the cost equation that Mark's talking about. Is that um, you know the the heavy investment into batteries is twofold. One is to drive down the cost of the batteries with some volume, but a second is also I think they want the intellectual property, right? So that's being held really by the Asian guys you know, between the the LGs, Samsungs, uh, CATLs, Panasonic's of the world. And so um, I think you're seeing a lot of joint ventures right now that are going to creep in and 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 uh, so the OEMs can learn about batteries, frankly, and battery technology. And so it's going to create a more competitive marketplace, which I think will drive down costs as well. Um, and cost is is a key part of the equation of the cost of, of electric vehicles, um, as Mark talked about. Uh, we also, in um, in our research team, uh, does a lot of modeling around the future. And so we've got a, a, a an interesting uh, forecast model, that actually we take it out to 2035 and 2050 even, which also, you looks at not only cost but uh, range of the vehicles, which is a big issue. Uh, the, the number of charging stations that might grow out there, because frankly, if you drive around today, unless you're in California, it's hard to find a charging station. Yeah. Uh, whereas you can find a lot of gas stations out there. Uh, the uh, uh, you know it's uh, the uh, the technology itself, as far as the um, the efficiency of the of the drive is also. It's going to be interesting over the time because there's so so many fewer parts in an electric vehicle than on a an internal combustion engine vehicle. That most predictions really are that maintenance costs should go down over time as well, mm. uh, and the cost of the vehicle, and frankly, the number of suppliers as well, which is a big threat right in the, to, to the the supply base of the industry as well. That's been making, uh, you know, pistons and and cam followers and uh, fuel tanks and those kinds of things in the future. So uh, they 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 have a tough future ahead of them.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that, Mark. What happens to many of those suppliers? And there's been a lot of a lot of talk around um, uh, the future related to those from a more traditional um, automaking standpoint. What's what's your view?
1: Well, it's a tough nettle to grasp for most of the the suppliers who've you know decades and decades of history of producing uh, these components, and all of a sudden being asked to. Uh, by the OEMs, by their customers, and by their tier customers, to uh, t- to change and to build new products, potentially at higher volumes if we, you know, really start to see that that uptake of of EVs. But certainly, um, different types of products, different materials, different manufacturing processes. Um, <clears throat> that's a difficult switch, um, and it comes at a time when most of the suppliers out there are, are still struggling with supply chain. Issues, volume, volatility, issues with the customer. So they're Most being pandemic. asked to, a, a pandemic, the recovery from the pandemic, still being asked to invest in, in this future world, which is uncertain to them. It's uncertain to them because they're not sure what the volumes and what the uptake will really be. And then number two, it's uncertain because their their, their capabilities might not match the, the needs of, of the new uh, EV Customer that's out there, whether it's the traditional OEMs or whether it's the startup uh, OEMs that uh, you know proliferating now, and all of those startups are electric. I mean, there is not a startup um, that's no, just based on an ICE. An uh, right. right. So, so you've got that um, you know that new that new market out there that is is sort of waiting to be served. How do you serve it? How do you look at what you do today and transition into it? And it's going to take some bold moves to. Make that investment, but that is what's necessary to to keep up with the market, keep up with where the technology is going. It's a but it's a conundrum for suppliers, and they need some certainty about what the future looks like.
0: Darren, when you think about adoption, and uh, you hit on it just a moment ago, but I want to dig in just a little bit. How can the adoption of EVs be accelerated? How can that change? And and really, what's in it for the consumer?
2: Um, well, it's it's interesting. I'll start with the the, the um, the acceleration really is uh, initially it's going to be driven by the government, right? So we're seeing that already um, with either um, increased CAFE standards to drive some of the change. Uh, we see it in, in Europe you know, with uh, increased uh, standards around greenhouse gas emissions and in China as well, um, either through uh, regulatory you know, you know penalties if, if they're not meeting certain things as far as those requirements or um, and incentives, right? So there's it didn't get through the bill in Congress here in the U.S., but the, you know, increasing the incentives for buying an electric vehicle. So that will be an initial stimulus to get things going. But that's not enough to really carry it. We don't think, and we've looked at this with a number of our clients as well. And um, it really does have to come down to the consumer. The second part of your question, right? And what's in it for the consumer? Uh, frankly, um, it's for the consumer. It's going to be um, a more efficient uh, way to transport themselves. And when I say efficient, it's just not only efficient uh, from the standpoint of how the vehicle operates, but their time, um, you know, not stopping at the gas pump, even though that's become convention today. But uh, my wife um, uh, has, a, has a, um, a Chevy Volt, right? And so and her, her, her commute is just perfect within the range of the Volt. And so she loves never going to the gas station. Uh, so uh, so some of it's cost of gas, as Mark said, but some of it's just convenient. Some of it's, uh, you know, not, not stopping there, charging up at home. Uh, you know, what are the things that consumers would like to, you know, what, what makes their transport um, in your world, you know, feel better. Um, and, you know, like on the EVs, that's, that's really what's, when the consumers start grabbing a hold of it and really, you know, grasping it, um, that'll be big. I think the other part, it's interesting, somewhere in here, there'll be a switch as well, because internal combustion engines are, the cost of those and the cost of those vehicles are built around the volumes today. When those volumes start to decline, those su- su- you know the suppliers and the, the OEMs can't make those for the same cost, and so the cost of those is going to start going up. Uh, it'll become an eventually. It's hard to imagine, but it'll be a niche market eventually. Yeah, that makes Yeah, yeah, but you know that when that and so that that's also going to change the cost paradigm that we're talking about here. So it's going to be it's kind of a wild, wild and crazy place for the next ten years, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Mark, it's, it's
1: interesting Jason if you think about you know the, the research that we've done uh, out there in the marketplace too this, there's the three factors right there's range a, kind of a minimum of 300 mile range on a battery and battery sizes are getting there now most most of them are accomplished cost parity we've talked about a lot um, including you know total cost of ownership and, and running kind of getting there the one that place that we're still short is charging infrastructure that is the that's the third leg of the stool in terms of you know confidence with the consumer uh that's not there yet and it's that's the big on un, big unknown i think we we see
0: and how do we get to a tipping point on that
1: well i think we're seeing as, as darren just mentioned you know we're seeing the first uh parts of that being invested in by the government so you know if you think about the uh the, the money that's being raised uh, that's been appropriated. I think it's it's somewhere in the region of uh, 500,000 charging stations which would be part of that. If you look at some of the projections that we've got in order to keep up with some of the most advanced nations in Europe, Norway comes to mind surprisingly with the biggest EV adoption rate that we're at something like 10 percent of Norway's charging infrastructure per head of population. So if you think about you know per head of hundred thousand population, we're at about ten percent of the rates they are. So there's there's a significant amount of both public and private funding that's necessary to get to uh, charging infrastructure that really supports high level uh, adoption of EVs
2: and fast charging technology too. So people want to be able to charge fast. And so that that technology, uh, we're seeing a lot of startups as well around. How do you how do you get that current you know, into the vehicle, into the batteries as fast as possible.
0: But Kansas is not Norway. And, and there are some definite differences, even just culturally, in, in terms of wanting to do things for, from an environmental standpoint or, or a switch to EVs. How, how do we get over that cultural difference when it comes to adoption? Darren?
2: Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start off because it's, uh, it's interesting. I was just in Kansas. <laughs> Actually, it's, that you mentioned that. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of farmland out in Kansas. That's so, How many charging stations? <laughs> yeah, and well, there, there are some, they're clustered, though, around the cities, right? So that's the thing. I think the cities are probably going to drive this initially, right? Because that's where the people are. And frankly, you know, it, it's, it's a bit, um, uh, you know, I guess it's the, uh, the economic aspect of it. The, you know, the, the OEMs are going to go after the volume. And that's where the people are as well in the cities. And so you see a place like Kansas City investing heavily into electric infrastructure. Because uh, they're trying to attract the the business of the new EVs and you know the the, the big OEMs as well as the startups, uh, you move out very far beyond the city and you're in farmland. Um, it's gonna it's gonna lag. I mean that that's the nature of of uh, the rural environment. I think uh, is that it's typically going to be behind the cities by probably ten years or so, right? As far as the adoption curve, um, and that's probably okay because that you know if I look at the we've looked at the demographics on vehicles as well, and it's a lot fewer vehicles that are out there as well. So um, they're not going to be the volume drivers, but, uh, but you know, eventually I think it does catch up because even for them, it can be a lot more efficient environment um, than trying to, you know, to, uh, to, cart- to, to find the next gasoline station or bring fu- you know, put, you know, fuel uh, out to the farm. So.
0: Wonderful. Darren, thank you so much for joining me and for adding in your own thoughts.
2: Thanks. Thank you, Jason. It's a delight to be here today and I look forward to catching up again.
0: Soon. And Mark, thanks to you as well.
2: Thanks, Jason.
1: Thanks for having us. Wonderful.
0: That's this episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. Thanks again to Mark Barrett, Plant Moran's Principal for Strategy, and Darren Gifford, Partner, Strategy Services, and Automotive Industry Leader. And thanks for listening to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein. We'll talk to you again next time.